So the other day I was on an airplane, which is not a regular occurrence for me. I'm not like this jet setter or anything, but on this particular airplane ride, I had one of them there airplane conversations that you always hear about with a stranger next to me. Again, not a regular occurrence, but I went with it. Anyway, it was this lovely person who had a very different worldview from me, and yet we had this wonderful, respectful dialogue in which we both concluded that while we say our ultimate quest is for truth, in many ways, it's really about being accepted. And I thought that was profound. And I think this is an excellent lead-in to today's podcast on the Isle of Misfits because it's all about having relevant discussions about things that matter. So if you're into that kind of thing, stick around. They say truth is timeless, but the question is, how do we make it relevant to the times in which we live? Well, fortunately, we have a special guest with us today who can help us wrestle with the answer to this deep question with some of his own deep thoughts. His name is Daniel Rice, and he's the author of a book called Hashtag Gospel, Life, Hope, and Truth for Generation Now, and he's all about bringing new life to ancient truth. So I would just want to give you a big, hearty welcome to the Isle of Misfits, Daniel. Hey, thanks, Nancy. It's great to be here. Well, I just I just have to tell you, I think this is a great topic for my audience here, which includes those of us who, for whatever reason, feel like the church culture is not necessarily a great fit for them. So let's just dive right in. And oh, by diving in around here, that means indulging me by playing a stupid game, which I forgot to ask you okay. before the interview. So if you are so inclined sure, to accept fine. my invitation. Okay, I'm glad that you don't. So the name of the stupid game, I based it on your expertise in this whole hashtag arena. I figure you you know what you're talking mm -hmm. about. Okay, so it's called hashtag okay. mania. Which one am I making up? Okay. Okay, so we're counting on you. This is going to be short and sweet. So I have two categories. First is Instagram. These are the most popular hashtags of all time. I'm going to give you three. Okay. But one I'm making up. So you tell me which one I'm making up. Is it the word red? Is it the word wedding or hashtag baby, most popular of all time on Instagram. And I need to pick for one of those three that's going to be the most popular. The one that I'm making um, up. Two of them are real. Oh, the real. one you're making up. Yeah, see, because I just like to make things up. I would have to say hashtag wedding. It's actually, it's baby, which I, that shocked oh, me. I couldn't believe it was on the list. Yeah, because everybody and their brother and their brother's baby puts yeah. baby pictures on Instagram. So, yeah, and red, I would have thought red. Why is red a hashtag? But apparently. Well, maybe the red movement with uh, Bono and how oh, you can buy a red iPad. Yeah, like see, you like know, that. you know your hashtag. So there's a movie red. There's a lot of red. So there's, there's a band a red. red. I can see. Right. Okay. And there's, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of babies, but baby didn't make the cut. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now we're going to move not. Apparently Justin Bieber's song did not make the uh, hashtag cut. Either. We're so sorry, Justin. I know he's probably right now just crying to somebody about that. All right. Yeah, move probably. <laughs> so moving on to now we're, now we're on Twitter. So these are the most, these are the trending hashtags now. Okay. So what's popular okay. right now? So two of them are right. Two of them are true. And one, I'm just lying. I love Taylor okay. Swift, hashtag happy cap day, or hashtag go tune. Hmm. So, all time right now, and I'm not going to Google it, I promise you. <laughs> Taylor Swift. I forgot to tell you, yes, no Googling, although I will yes, never know. Yes, yes. 
But you know, clearly I didn't Google the first one, or I would have got it right. <laughs> um, so, the, what can you read the three options again? Okay, so is it I love Taylor Swift hashtag Happy Cap Day or hashtag Go Tune, G O T O O N? I'm going to go with the third option, Go Tune, and it's probably not going to be right. But well, that's okay. here's the thing: I I've never even heard of Go Tune. I don't even know what that I is. Either. Yeah, but it's it is a thing, I guess. But no, the one I was making up actually, and it's not fair because she's the queen of Twitter. Um, I made up. I love Taylor Swift. Right now, she's not trending. I'm sure there are times when she does, but maybe yeah, she's sure, yes. she might be making a video on site in Africa or someplace right now. So there's no time for tweeting, mm. but people still love her. All right. All right. So this is just a pure bonus question. There's no wrong answer. It's it's all right. So I'm just okay. curious. What is the silliest hashtag you ever saw or made up yourself? Ah, uh, that is a good question. Um, hmm. I would say some of the ones we just talked about are weird. <laughs> I've never heard of hashtag go before. Although I, I did check it, and it is a real thing. I guess it's these baby figurine things. Oh, okay. Um, I saw a thing for yeah, finger monkeys. I would say, yeah, that's true. That's a I thing. would say probably one of the ones we just talked about. Um, hashtag GoTune is maybe the weirdest one I've heard so far. Okay, and that is a completely acceptable answer. So thank you so much for playing. <laughs> you did a great job, especially since I didn't prep you at all. Um, hey, no but, problem, no problem. So I keep telling my guests that I'll be sending you an Isle of Misfits t-shirt as soon as I have them made. So uh, you'll be looking for that one. Excellent. Okay, so now that we've all, we're all hashtagged out, I suppose we should talk a little bit about hashtags because, you know, all right, most of us know about them, right? And I think all of us have mm -hmm. seen mm -hmm. them at one point or another. But I'm here to tell you, I'm usually the one who's afraid to ask about something that's been around for a while and, like, because uh, I don't want to look yeah. stupid, you know? And so, so with that as a benchmark, let's assume there's at least one other person out there like me who could use a simple explanation for what is a hashtag? Yeah, that's a great starting point. I, on social media, a hashtag uh, kind of marks or groups messages together related to the term that's being tagged uh, and by nature kind of creates an open global conversation about that. Let's say you wanted to, you know, jump into the global conversation about the World Series that just happened. Um, you can put whatever you want, you know, go Astros or whatever and hashtag it with, you know, World Series uh, 2017 and it's immediately grouped in with thousands and thousands of other uh, social media messages online right now that have thousands of other people, you know, chiming in. It's kind of like a current version of a global marketplace or, you know, uh, in and jumping kind of crossing over a little bit, Paul, when he would go into a, a new city, um, one of the places he loves to interact with people is the marketplace. And I see social media right now as kind of the global um, modern marketplace of ideas. And so when we hashtag something, what it does is it sorts the information in that marketplace to help us find a topic that we want to converse on. And um, it allows us to kind of narrow that hugely broad scope of ideas. Okay. So, yeah. So, like, in the olden days, you'd go to the library and get the, you know, the card file out, and that's how you'd find uh, mm -hmm. what you were looking for. But now we, all we have to do is hashtag and look it up. Yeah. So, all right. All right. And that's good to know because, you know, it's one of those things that it's been a part of our culture for, it feels like forever. It's probably been less than 10 mm -hmm. years. Um, but yeah. Um, it's good. It's good to get a simple explanation. So now we know. All right. So now that we've established that, next important question. You talk about 
Generation Now. So mm. who who is Generation Now? Let's define that. That's a great question. I think that people are in some ways a little fatigued over the generation labeling that's happened over the last, I don't know, how many years. You know, the greatest generation and the mm. baby boomers, Generation X, Y, Z. Yeah, I'm a little fuzzy. Yeah. yeah, Generation X, so which is like the Jam Brady of all generations. We are the forgotten nice. child, but, you know, we'll save that oh, for another Jan. day. So I know, I know. I'm all right. I'm going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I think people have grown a little bit of tired, uh, a little bit tired of over-labeling. And, and right. I think that some of the generation labeling right now is overlapping and confusing. And mm. so what the reason, you know, when the subtitle of a book is for Generation Now is, what generation uses Twitter or what generation uses social media? I don't think you can, you know, classify it as a particular age group. Now, it seems to tend to, uh, you know, veer younger, but then you look at, you know, the different social media channels and a Facebook will tend to veer a little older, but like Instagram will be younger. Twitter is kind of a different thing. And so Generation Now is kind of this all-encompassing cultural designation for people that are interested in you know, communicating in the marketplace of world ideas, people who are interested in modern technology and modern ways of communication. So really it's it's less about age so much than it is about maybe just being curious and seeking and trying to adapt to this changing world. Yeah, exactly. It's about a culture of people that have embraced the technology to communicate that we have. And, and uh, I might get allude to this a little bit later, but I feel like the way that we communicate with each other is fundamentally changing. I mean, especially compared to 2,000 years ago when the Bible was written, I mean, when Paul wrote one of these letters to the early churches, he took all his thoughts and wrote it out in this big long-form letter, handed it to a messenger, and it probably took months to get to its destination. It was such a big deal when it got there that the whole church would get together, not just the older folks and not just the middle age, but everybody would get together and they read this letter several times. It was a big deal. Communication coming from somebody, you know, miles and hundreds of miles away. But now that's not a big deal to us anymore. If I want to talk to somebody, a friend of mine in California, I'll pick up the phone and call them or I will tweet them or text them. I mean, now with FaceTime and Skype, we can talk to them instantly face to face. And so no longer do we have to store up these giant tracks of information and send it all in one sweep, I'll just send a little burst of whatever I need to talk, communicate right now, and all of a sudden they get it. And so it's changed fundamentally the way we communicate and the way we process information, because alongside of the changes in technology become changes in advertising, changes in the way that information is communicated to us. We live in a world that is just brimming with information and we're in a deluge of communication every day and we've all had to develop this filter so that we our brains don't get overloaded i mean just on the way to work this morning or you know listening to the radio or watching tv or browsing on the internet there's just so much stuff out there people are trying to sell you or communicate with you and we all have to have this filter so we don't get buried and so if we are going to accurately share God's love 
to people through text or through any form of communication, we have to do it in a way that engages and bypasses that filter. Because if people don't think that what you're saying is relevant to them, you know, and the introduction of the book, I say five, 10 seconds, that's about all we have when we're talking to somebody new that we don't know or about a subject that's new to uh, explain to the person we're communicating to that this is relevant to you. If not, it kind of hits the filter and bounces off. Even Microsoft in the last few years came out with a, a interesting piece of uh, research that said that they found that humans now have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. It's like eight seconds, I think. And if it's not captivating, they move on. And so oh, in yes. this new I think world they call that progress. communication, yeah, yeah, exactly. In this new world of burst communication, you know, we really have to update our way and style of communication so we're not immediately relegated to the filter file and, you know, pushed off to the side. Yeah, so let's talk about that for a second because going back to your illustration with, you know, Paul writes this letter, it takes anywhere from a few weeks to a few months to get where, you know, it's going and they're all excited. So today, you tweet something 24 hours after it happened and people are like, oh, that's so two hours ago. You know, they already know. And they've already been, like you said, deluged with a hundred other things. So, all right, you talk about relevancy, right? So, and some people, Mm. some people out there say the gospel is not relevant today. And to be honest, I think we just like saying the word relevant. Um, That's a buzzword. Right. But let me put it to you this way. What makes it irrelevant well, that's a great question. I think that, you know, something, you can almost make anything relevant. I mean, you've got companies out there that are spend, spending billions of dollars to sell sugar water and making sugar water a relevant part of our culture and like Coca-Cola and Pepsi and, you know, it's it's so much about presentation. I mean, relevancy is I feel like a, a little bit of a relative term. And, and, Ooh, I you know, see what you, you did can, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could, the packaging in the, the packaging that you um, wrap up a piece of communication in is very important. But you know, as I was talking about before, it's just the packaging. And so if what's in it, you know, nobody is, um, you know, people have their preferences, Coke or Pepsi or whatever, but nobody is saying that the message that those companies are trying to get across is life changing, right? And so all that hashtag gospel is, is kind of a package to get the gospel in the door and for people to engage with it. Once we have made that initial contact, the gospel itself is relevant, is powerful enough to then take it from there. And, you know, we talk about burst communication. Those things, you know, are true at the front half of communication. When you're just figuring out if something is relevant to you, once you engage with it, the rules change. And once you're by that filter, the rules change. We still, as a culture, really feel strongly about different things. Like, it doesn't matter what your belief system is. Most people feel real strongly about fairness and equality. Now, it you know, differs on who they think that needs help with equality. And, you know, I think there's some right and wrong answers there, but everybody has an innate need or desire to see unfairness and inequality squashed. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. And and I'm glad you brought this up because you talked about this at one point in the book. There's so much oppression, right? Sickness, unfairness, injustice, and, and people recognize that something's wrong with the world and there's so much that we need to be safe from and yet you seem to be making a case in this book that we need to be saved from ourselves 
So mm-hmm. talk about that because that that kind of turns it on its ear. It's like, no, no, wait, the problem is the world. So yeah, talk about yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, well, you think about the world around us, and there are different types of negative things that can happen. There are natural events like a hurricane or a typhoon or floods or, you know, um, different things like that. But then you look at some of the more egregious and more horrible things that are happening in the world today, and it's a result of people making bad decisions, being selfish, you know, trying to... um, do what only they would want for themselves and not caring about anyone else around them. And, you know, we see, you know, news stories of people sexually assaulting young children or people, you know, going in. And um, one illustration I use in the book is uh, a few years ago when the guy, the rebels in Ukraine shot a missile at what they thought was a, uh, I guess they thought was a war plane, but it blew up a 747 carrying families and, and, children and you know who in the end takes responsibility for that was anybody held accountable and and inside of all of us when we see injustice like that when we see you know the poor in india being practically enslaved in birth factories and you know we see other people in different parts of the world that can't get justice in the criminal justice system based on their color of their skin or based on how much money they have in the bank account inside we just kind of ride in, in anger and frustration at that um, and you know that in itself points to our desire for fairness but even in that the best setup that we have the best, you know you go to a, a, a first world country that has a modern criminal justice system even the best criminal justice system is inadequate I mean uh, if you take your case in front of a judge he is dependent on witnesses to actually find out what happens. Witnesses can be tampered with. Witnesses can be uh, mistaken or mishear or or see something that and misunderstand it. You know, we need a judge to, to create fairness that doesn't need witnesses that is everywhere at the same time. You know, we also have the problem of, you know, being um, able to divine motive. I mean, there's a huge difference between an accidental death and murder one. But, you know, how do we see, we, we can only look at the outside and, you know, video evidence or whatever. We can only look at, you know, externals. We can't see internals. We need a judge that is able to see internals. We need a judge that is able to carry out the penalty or the, the, the justice, even though the person being prosecuted has immense power or immense wealth, you know, and it shouldn't matter how much you can pay lawyers to the degree of justice you get. And so all these things kind of combine to point to the fact that we desperately need a divine judge and God who is all knowing, who is all everywhere present, who is all powerful. And then on top of that, he's incorruptible. I mean, corruption is all over the place. And we see places where you know, if you have enough money, you can pay off the court system, you know, especially in different third world countries or wherever. Um, there's a uh, International Justice Mission is a great organization and their um, president and CEO, Gary Haugen, wrote a book called The Locust Effect. And in that book are some crazy stories uh, about different places in the world where people were raped and murdered or enslaved and they couldn't get justice because they didn't have enough money. Mm. And our hearts just kind of push back against that so hard because we know what we need and we can't do it ourselves. And so, and this is, I talk about a lot of the stuff in the second chapter of the book, 
where everything points to logic and reason and, and the desire in our heart points to the fact that we need a justifier. We need a judge that can come and make things right. But even in the end, you know, and we talk about it in the first chapter, everybody is tainted. So if we do get that perfect judge, it only serves to illuminate the unrighteousness in our own lives. And it sets up perfectly the need for the rescue plan that God has planned from before the, the foundation of time. You know, here we are, we are perfectly condemned and rightfully condemned, but yet God has a plan. And that's what this book is really about. It's about, according to the book of Romans, it kind of tracks Paul's thought process through the book of Romans, and it lays out this amazing rescue plan that God has designed from before the foundation of the world. You know, it's it's just fascinating to me because, you know, I think about something Ravi Zacharias, uh, you know, who's a famous apologist, he, he, he talks on mm-hmm. this subject, and I've almost got his spiel down, but when people ask about evil in the world, right, mm-hmm. um, why is there evil? Yeah, he's and, phenomenal. Oh, yeah, and, and so to the question of, well, it, how could God allow evil in the world? Well, to acknowledge that there's evil in the world means that you're acknowledging that there's good, right? We're, we're good at recognizing, mm-hmm. you know, we recognize yep. injustice and corruption. We also recognize goodness. So the fact that there is something good in the world means that there's a moral lawgiver. Yeah. So yep, exactly. And yeah, and what you're talking about is okay, yeah, you know, this world is a it's a corrupt place, but there's something in us innately that recognizes good and evil. Our problem is we we can't uh, we can't navigate that ourselves. We need that outside help, which is what you're talking about. So I want to I want to kind of throw this question at you. So in, in chapter seven. You, you list 10 historical facts, you know, that are accepted by virtually all scholars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also bring up a few theories against the resurrection. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you, it's going to sound like a no-brainer, kind of stupid question. Sure. Um, why, why is this important for people to know? Well, I mean, Tim Keller probably said it better than anybody else. Um, I, I'm not sure if you, do you know Tim I Keller? Know, oh, yes, I do. I love Tim Keller. <laughs> okay, Deep okay. thinker, yes. Yeah. He is a phenomenal speaker. He's a pastor at a church in New York City, and he wrote a book called The Reason for God. Great book. Highly recommend it. But he said this, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether you like his teaching or not, but whether or not he rose from the dead. You know, and and the resurrection of Christ is such a game changer. There is no other religion that has something like this. I mean, there, you know, old myths and stuff, and people love to bring up Mithras and you know different things. But when you really look at the comparisons, they are so not the same. The the, the fact that God came, the God came to Earth and lived as a human and died in the sub substitutionary death for our sin and then defeated death and was raised on the third day. That is a game changing. Nobody else has crossed over and come back. And he did it in such a way at such a time in human history where all these facts and things come together. So we can not just have blind faith that he was resurrected from the dead, we can examine the evidence and it puts together a, a logical conclusion that this must have happened. I mean, stuff like the tomb being guarded by some of the best armed uh, 
soldiers in the Rome, uh, in the day in the Roman army, and these were like top guys. And there are different things that I talk about in the book where these guys were guarding the tomb under penalty of death. If they walked away, there was you know gonna bad things gonna happen. And so it wasn't that you know it was just set up in such a way that you know all these things that people want to say, oh, he didn't really die, or, you know, he, the disciples stole the body, are are crazy because of the details that happened during the resurrection. And, and I believe that's no circum, circumstantial thing. That's no coincidence. God planned the sacrifice and resurrection of his son down to the T so that thousands of years in the future, we could look back with surety and say this is a historical event that mm. did happen. Mm, yes, examining the evidence, as you put it, and you, and you laid these out really well, these 10 facts and, and even the theories against the resurrection and all that. But I'll, I'll tell you why I asked that, you know, that question, which probably seems like a duh, but I, I wonder sometimes when, if, when it comes to the search for truth, whether our problem mm-hmm. is a lack of knowledge or... A hardness in our heart. Yeah, that's a great, great thought. You know, I found personally that you can debate all you want and you can try to have, you know, logic and reason arguments, but it is seldom, uh, seldom as ever as anyone argued into the kingdom of God. You know, Ain't it's that a the work truth. in the heart. And yet, yes, you know and I mean? yet just, Facebook and Twitter still exist. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, people love to argue with each other. People love to you know, go back and forth. And some of it is fine, it's conversational, but some of it I think is good, really boils down to pride. And I want to be mm-hmm. right, and oh, I want to show everyone else that I'm wrong. I don't know if you've uh, seen, like, the comments of the guy pounding furiously away at the computer, and he's like, honey, I can't come to bed yet. Someone on the internet is wrong, and I need to think. <laughs> you know, that is yes. such yeah. an image of our day. Right. And as yeah, I, Christians yeah. and as people that are bare the gospel, we can't get pulled into that kind of stuff. Right. Oh, I think, yeah, one of my favorites, I'm paraphrasing, is, um, you know, you're, oh gosh, I'm going to screw it up, but, you know, <laughs> your your nasty tweet just changed my life, said no one ever. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> That's, yeah. So, so profound. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. 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 But, you know, but that that is the bottom line. We do need to be saved from ourselves because what's wrong with the world is what's wrong with me and vice versa. So, um, I love, I, I just love all of these things that we're talking about. I wish we could just keep talking and talking, and yet I know you have sure, a sure. life to live. So, um, so Daniel, in fact, I one more real quick thing. I want to touch on your video sure. series um, because that's a really cool thing. Um, yeah, talk a little bit about that and how people can find that, and um, then we're going to talk sure, about how sure. they can get a hold of your book. Yeah, the quickest way to, to see the video series and, and to interact with us is on our website at hashtag spelledoutgospel.com. You can go on there and see videos. You can get connected to us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Um, but we these videos are like a minute or two long, very short. They're, they kind of take different concepts in the book and put them in a new form of visual communication. They're great for just kind of um, throwing up on your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed to inst- kind of instigate conversation. Or I even use them when I'm just talking to a friend like in a coffee shop and, you know, we're talking about a specific, um, like the rescue plan idea and I'll pull my phone out and pull up the video and bam, there's a one minute video. And it's, it's not like you're pulling out this 30 minute video. And they're like, Oh man, I don't have time for that. Right, right. But it's this real short burst and it kind of is a powerful way to communicate the content. 
Yeah, and they're really, I have to tell you, they're very well done. They're kind of understated, but but really, really uh, high production uh, value on that. And what I love about them is that they're really kind of open-ended, like you said. So it's like, yep. okay, so what did you think about that? Um, so sure. big fan of that. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I watched several of them, Coffee Talk and I Am, and there are several more. So I um, highly recommend you check that out. And it also sounds like hashtag gospel would be the place to get your book. Okay. You can go to the website. You can go to Amazon. You can go to Barnes & Noble. You can go to ChristianBook.com, any of those. But the uh, all of them are going to have uh, hashtag gospel, the book itself. Awesome. Well, I, I can't recommend this book enough. I think it, you, you really lay out a great case uh, for not just why the gospel is important, but, but again, how to, how to translate it to, to an age that may be tuned out. And I think you did an excellent job with that. So thank you so much, Daniel. It's been great having you with us. Yeah, thank you so much, Nancy. It's been great to talk. Now I want to encourage you to check out Daniel's website, hashtaggospel.com. You have to spell out the hashtag, by the way, and look up his video series. They are really excellent. In fact, I'll probably post at least one of them on my blog to go with this podcast. And of course, you definitely want to pick up a copy of his book, which is newly released and just in time for the holiday gift-giving season. Of course, I'll be including it in next month's random giveaway of random awesomeness, so you can go that route if you're feeling lucky. But in any event, do share these podcasts, and I would love for you to subscribe as well to the Isle of Misfits. That's I-S-L-E of Misfits.com. And that'll get you entered as well. So later this month, I want to try something a little crazy, a little out of the box-ish, and involve some of you in a future podcast to start off the new year. So stay tuned for more info on that. And in the meantime, keep owning that awkward and keep loving those fellow misfits.